Well, Harvest, I have to say I'm still just kind of mind-blown being here in this place and with you. Is not God good? Unbelievable. Isn't he good? Amen. Well, hey, uh, grab your Bibles because uh, we are starting a brand new series today, Jesus Christ Supreme. Not like Jesus Christ is like really cool or Jesus Christ is like my best boyfriend or anything like that. Jesus Christ is supreme. And uh, the whole book of Colossians, that is the theme of it. So grab your Bibles, turn to Colossians. It's towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, go there. You turn there? You turn in there? All right, awesome. Get there, and we'll be there in just a little bit. Well, today is really an introductory day to the book of Colossians. It's kind of a setting the stage for our study through the book of Colossians. It's an intro. And I realize when I say that, that sounds like, oh, yawn. Um, an introduction to a letter? Come on, dude. Like, can't we just get on with it? I mean, all the introduction says the first two verses. It says who, who wrote it, who he wrote it to, and like, uh, greetings. And like, let's get on with the meat part of it. But what's with the deal with this? We're going to spend the whole time with it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I, I understand uh, some of that pain, and I even understood the question of earlier this week. What am I going to say about two verses in the intro here? Well, there's four cool stories in this, and we'll get there in just a little bit. But a lot of times, if you were to pick up a, a commentary on the book of Colossians, say, and these are some of them that I use, and, and I have used all of them even for this week, uh, here, here's what goes. They'll have pages and pages and pages that talk about who wrote the letter. Was it Paul? Was it actually Timothy writing for Paul? Was Paul speaking it and Timothy writing it while they were under house arrest, while Paul was under house arrest in Rome? What, what was, was it this? Was it, was it a, a pseudepigrapha kind of a thing? In other words, it's like, you've been punked, dudes, because someone wrote Paul, but it really wasn't Paul, and they were just punking you out. What's the deal with all that? And it's page after page after page and all that. And then it talks about to whom was the written le- whom was the letter written? Was it to the general population, to a specific church? Was it to the leaders into the church? Was it to a specific people in that church? Was it for all churches? Was what was the demographic of that place? What was the politics in that place? What was the setting in that place? Then where was the letter letter written from? Was it written from Caesarea? No, no, not. Was it written from Ephesus? I'm not buying it, but uh, uh, okay, there's some options there. Uh, or was it from Rome? Yeah, I think that was the reality of it all. But they spent page after page after page after page talking about this and so a couple of the various theories. Then it's when was the letter written? Because if it was written from Caesarea, then it had to be written in later 58 AD time. If it was written from Ephesus, it had to be early 50 AD. If it was written from Rome, it had to be 60 AD and pages on that. And then why was the letter written? Was it written to address problems that were going on? Was it written to address problems that might be going on? Was it written to because Paul was just bored in jail? What was the deal was going on? Who delivered the letter to him? And what was the weather on the day that the letter was delivered? Um... Doug, are you saying all that talk is useless and worthless? Not at all. Not at all. I just want to let you know it's not going to be that boring. Okay? Uh, I've read the stuff through, and I put some of that in there for some of you academics. Just so you know, I've read it. I got, I got it. I understand it. And we'll include some of that in here. However... Um, 
I actually want for you and I to walk out today blown away by a greeting. Blown away by two verses. Two verses that talk about four God at work stories. And I hope that out of this, literally, you will never just read, just screeching fast past the first verse or two in an epistle like this again. And you will read it slower, and you will just go, and I mean this in the right way, oh my God, you are awesome. Well, that's what we're going to do today. And before we do that, let me get the data on the table, okay? And you're welcome to time me. Don't start the timer yet. But one to two minutes, I want to just sum up the data. Okay, you ready? You ready? Okay, here we go. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Timothy was a co-laborer with him. It was written from Rome while Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Uh, Paul wrote it. Uh, uh, Timothy is there to kind of be a supportive role and kind of like he agrees with this. It was written uh, in uh, 61 AD while Paul was in Rome. It was written by Paul after Epaphras, a layman from Colossae. We'll talk about Epaphras next week. A layman from Colossae took a 1,200-mile trip to talk to Paul in Rome. I mean, get that, 1,200 miles, no jet, no car. And this layman goes to Rome. He's the founder of that church there. Uh, He goes to Rome to talk to Paul. Out of that conversation, Paul writes this letter. And Paul writes this letter to be able to to help uh, equip and to teach for the various erroneous teachings and practices that are on the table before the church in Colossae. Stop the clock. Okay? Now, in light of that, let's read the first two verses, and then let's hear four God stories. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters, it was uh, in that day when a man like like Paul was writing, he would write in the male form. It was including all of them. They all understood that. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Lord, I pray as we dig into these couple verses that uh, that you would just um, blow our socks off. And I pray that you would just show us you. Blow us away with you, Lord. We want more of you. We need more of you. We want to understand more of you. We want to be able to see in these four big God stories out of this reality that you are a God who is engaged with us. More of your glory, Lord. More of your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Got a work story number one.
Paul. Got to work story number one, Paul. Uh, Paul, an apostle of who? Okay, let's, okay, everybody, let's like amp up the volume. Paul, an apostle of? Okay, of Christ Jesus. Now, the, the word apostle, in the Greek it's apostolos. What does that mean? Uh, well, you and I normally think of, well, the 12 disciples, Paul, kind of this apostolic thing. True, but there's also a general understanding of the word. The general understanding at that day of the word apostle was somebody that was a, a, a declared an, a delegate. They were an accredited delegate. They were an accredited messenger. In that day, the word was used with other people. But yet in the New Testament, this word is clearly used in a way of designating, as Paul is saying here, not just a delegated messenger, but a delegated messenger, and he says, of Christ Jesus. That carries the connotation that Paul is saying, I'm an accredited uh, messenger of Christ Jesus. In other words, I've been commissioned directly by Jesus Christ to be a permanent, distinctive representative of Christ as for building a foundation for a people for Christ. There is a unique position in this, but know this. When Paul is making this statement, he's not like, hey... I'm Paul, and I'm an apostle. He's not doing that, okay? That's not what this is meaning. Sometimes when we read it that way, we think that's the case. He's not essentially saying, I'm Paul the CEO, I'm Paul the president, I'm Paul the district manager, I'm Paul the human resource manager, and you better listen to me or I'm going to have you out of here. He's not talking that way. When Paul is using this terminology, he's not referring to it as so much a title as to a task. Let me ask, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor, you're a flight attendant, a carpenter, you're, you're a secretary, you're a, and I'm Paul, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle. He is stating his task, not his title. Now, at times, Paul does use his, his, his title of apostle in a way to kind of come at people, but this is not one of those times. He is not coming and saying, listen, guys, I'm waving my badge of honor over you. Fall down before me and think I'm awesome. That is not what the apostle Paul is doing. He is just laying out there the fact that I have a unique role. I have a unique role, and I'm the one who is writing this because of my unique role in it all. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. If you know anything about the story of this guy, and by the way, we're going to know it, that statement is stunning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus? And look at the next words. By the will of God. That's right, baby. It is. What am I talking about? Everybody turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Let's learn about the story of this guy, the story of the human author of the, the book of Colossians, because I present to you that his statement of Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, should cause us just to stop and pause and be in awe. 
Let's meet this guy. Acts chapter 7. End of the chapter. Let's start in verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now, that's not talking about Paul. This is talking about Stephen. This is shortly after Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, and this is shortly after that. Stephen is proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And the end of chapter 7, it ends up just what we read. They cast him out of the city and stoned him to death. I've I, I got to tell you, I cannot even imagine experiencing being stoned, I cannot even fathom being around and watching a stoning. And I pause in this because we just read past words and we miss the reality. They hauled the guy out of town and they chucked rocks at him, breaking his face, his body, his everything until he died. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named altogether what? Um, if you're new to the Bible, Saul, this young man, becomes Paul. Saul is Paul. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Friends, I got to tell you, I'm not sure I'd be saying that. And when he had said this, I love these three words, he fell asleep. I just want to encourage you, this has nothing to do with today. But those three words contain some massive, deep theology. What's your view of death? He fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1. And who? Approved of his execution. Okay. Do you get the picture here? Saul don't like Christians. He does not like these people. In fact, he's standing there and the people that are getting their gloves on drop their cloaks at his feet and he's like, game on, boys. Pitching practice. And they go and they chuck these stones at this guy, Stephen, until they murder him, execute him. And Saul's like, I'm liking this. I'm liking this a lot because that boy said that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and I don't buy a lick of it and he should die for saying it. Does this not sound like jihad? I'm just being serious. This is what's going on. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Um, am I correct in reading this that Paul, Saul, is not one of them? Is that correct? Okay. So there are the apostles, the 12 apostles, and this Saul dude is not one of them. And in fact, if he could, I think he would pick up a rock and he'd love to have batting practice in their face with him, Right? That's the reality. But Saul, 
verse 3, was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's go to chapter 9. Let's learn a little bit more about this dude. Because right now I'm getting the idea that he is highly uh, anti-Jesus Christ. Chapter 9, verse 1, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way were followers of Christ, men or women, it didn't matter to him, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Uh, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, face down, He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, "Uh, who are you, Lord? That's interesting. Who are you, Lord? Obviously, there's a divine thing he's understanding going on here. And this voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Hey, who's in charge now? Can you imagine his heart rate? Can you imagine what's going on with him with his entire worldview right at this moment is all of a sudden being confronted and shown that he's dead meat? Verse 6, but rise because I'm going to take you out, my friend, for all the smack talk you've been giving me for the last years and all the killing of my brothers or my followers. I'm going to take you out and I'm going to skin you alive, man. Doesn't say that, does it? I don't know. I think that would kind of be appropriate. I just want to say one word. Grace. Please understand, Saul hates Jesus and is killing anybody who proclaims him. And Jesus shows up and Jesus then says, verse 6, but rise, enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Kind of be scared of our Saul at that point because we don't know what it is. Verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. By the way, that's very important. Saul was not on a hot road and he just got heat stroke and freaked. Others saw this happen as well. There were witnesses there. Verse 8, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Uh, So they led him by the hand, brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Okay, I'm a guy, Saul was a guy, and I got to tell you, there's things you can give up, but eating, (laughs) seriously, I'm not so into giving up eating, and especially for three days. Why would you not eat for three days? Because you are so stirred up. Maybe you know of someone, a spouse or a child or your parents or someone very close to you that has died and eating is just irrelevant for a period of time. You're not even hungry. And for three days, this boy is not eating And he's just sitting there and he's blind. What can you do? All you can do is think. Three days of processing this all through and what's going on with him. Verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to Ananias, rise, go to the street called Straight. I wonder what that road is like. 
You know, I don't know, I'm just curious. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of, of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Friends, I guarantee his, prayer, his praying there was different than his praying of three, four, five, six, seven days ago. And he has seen a, in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, this is really important, Lord, I've heard from many about how this man, i.e. Saul, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias knew what this dude was about. And he's like, God... Are you talking the same man? Because um, I'm not so much about having him over for dinner. Verse 17, so Ananias departed, entered his house, laying his hands on Saul. He said to him, brother Saul. Brother One, the guts it took for Ananias to do that. Because this was the guy who's killing people with Ananias like Ananias. And he puts his hand on the guy. And then he calls him brother. Why would you call him brother? You call him brother because Jesus Christ said he is now your brother. And in that, that was a faith statement. The boy Ananias hasn't heard anything from this other guy. And yet by faith, he proclaims him a brother. I just got to tell you, there's deep things in what we say. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and, he, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight, uh, Paul, Saul did. Uh, then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. Keep going. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And get this. And immediately he, Saul, proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Bam! I'm not just talking about he just went and walked and he just did his little Jesus thing, him and Jesus. No, no, no. He went into the synagogue, into the place that was his home with his brothers, and what does he now proclaim? He proclaims exactly what he was killing people for. He proclaims Jesus in the synagogue saying, he, Jesus, is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And all who heard him were amazed, I would say, and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by providing that Jesus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Not just talking about Jesus, but prove him. Logical thinking through, validating, proving, confirming that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you see the radical transformation behind this boy? <laughs> I mean, th th this would be like, in light of this last week, this would be like Bill Nye, the science guy, uh, coming and, 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 and standing and going, I now believe in a six-day, seven-day literal creation view. I mean, it's that radical. This is Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. 
And yeah, by the will of God. Because Saul was not looking for Jesus. Do you know that? He wasn't looking for him. He was looking to take him out. And God, bam, showed up in his life. This is a radical transformation story. This is the transformation story that, uh, I'll tell you, at seven years old, I didn't have the whole light thing. But theologically, at seven years old, when I came to understand that I'm a sinner separated from God, I am desperate need of a Savior. Jesus Christ came and died for me, and by receiving him as my Savior, and by, by driving the stake in the ground, directing my life in a whole nother course, the same radical transformation takes place at a seven-year-old. Has that happened with you as well? Radical transformation and this is just not spiritual, mystical fluff fluff. This is logical thought because I would say Paul at any point in time could have gotten up and said, I'm out on this on day one or day two or day three when he couldn't see. But God in his mind had so shown up in his life in the kind of a way that Paul's like, I can't deny it. I can't do any other thing. This is the reality. This is a radical transformation. And I ask you, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you? Has there come a time where you've come to realize that you're a sinner separated from God and you need a Savior? Now that's a God at work story. Hey, begin turning back towards Colossians chapter one. Uh, by the way, make a pit stop at Galatians. It's right before Colossians. Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter one. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. Oh, now I get it. Now I get it better. Turn just a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. A little few more pages to the right. Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of God by the will of God. Friends, this boy cannot get it off his mind. He has been given a task and it is purely by what God has done in his life. Before we move on to the next story, I would say it this way. To Paul, Jesus Christ was not a big deal. He was the deal. Another way of saying that is Jesus Christ was not prominent in his life. Jesus Christ was preeminent in his life. And one of the things we are going to be confronted with through this book in Colossians, and I am going to confront me and I am going to confront you about, is Jesus Christ prominent to you or preeminent to you? Because there is a big difference. One's a deal. The other is the deal. One's Jesus in a backpack, a trophy on a shelf. The other is following after him, full out, no questions asked. God at work. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
by the will of God. God story number two, Timothy. There's only three words. And Timothy, our brother. Now, again, if you're new to the Bible, or he's not talking about Timothy is not his biological brother. Uh, makes sense because it's our, it's in that form. It's, it's saying our brother, and so that means not only is he Paul's brother, but he's also the Colossians' brother. This is, he's a brother in Christ is what's happening. What is this story about Timothy? Who is this guy? Turn to the right, about six or eight pages in your Bible, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And, and let's learn about this boy, Timothy. Timothy, at the time of the writing of Colossians, is in Rome with Paul. Paul is the one that's under house arrest. We won't go into those details right now. Timothy is there with him, supporting him, helping him, co-labor along with him. And let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Just let it soak in again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, a spiritual child, Timothy came to Christ through Paul. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, Timothy, as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. You kind of get the idea. Paul really has a lot of care for this guy. Verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. That's when he went into ministry, vocational ministry. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me as prisoner. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a set-apart calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. This is why I suffer as I do. So much for the prosperity gospel. But I am not ashamed, Timothy, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted with you. These guys are buds, man. And Paul loves this kid, Timothy. And to, and to Paul, he is more of a kid. He's younger. I just want to make a note. You just don't see Paul doing ministry alone places. 
both from an accountability reality. Paul's not just about himself, but also from a discipling and mentoring into other people. This is such a cool relationship going on. There's so many things I could say about the whole thing and their relationship and, and all that's happening there. But, but, but let me kind of cut to the chase of verse 5. There's a God story in verse 5 that's very important for you to be able to know about Timothy. Verse 5, I understand Timothy's grandmother to have come to Christ first, Lois. And then Timothy's mother, Eunice, came to Christ. In Acts 16, it says that uh, basically Timothy's dad was a Greek uh, man. We don't see anywhere, it's interesting in this text, anything mentioning about a dad who is, well, turn to 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. Paul here goes on later to say, uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the, sa- acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, let me sum it up this way. Way to go, Grandma. Way to go, Mom. Hey, if you're a single parent, or maybe you're a spiritually single parent, if you're a grandparent, hey, if you're a parent, are you imploring God's word into your child or children? Are you? Well, I bring them to church. Okay, that, that, that's all right. And we're here to partner with you on that. But I'm talking about you. Are you imparting God's word into your children? I mean, I mean you, parents. Here we clearly see this story of this boy with a grandma and a mom who came to know Christ. And while they are raising this boy, they are imparting him uh, the scriptures. And they aren't just doing it once. They're not doing a daily crouton kind of a thing. I mean, they're just putting it into life over time type of thing. It's just ongoing and ongoing. I want to add to this 1 Thessalonians 2.8, uh, my ministry verse. Uh, we loved you so much that we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So let me bring this into it. In the reality of it, what was happening was Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mom and grandma, are imparting into Timothy, teaching Timothy God's word, but at the same time, they are living it before him in such a way that a later time in his life, by the way, parents, your job is not to bring your child to Christ. Your job is to impart the scriptures to your child so that God can bring him to himself. And when he comes to Christ, when she comes to Christ, you're not done. Your life is right there through the whole thing. It's about the gospel and your life. And so I ask this, are you imparting the gospel into your child or children's life? Are you? I mean, really. I mean, seriously, come on now. Are you for real? 
Are you positioning them with the information, with the knowledge, with the grandeur of who God is and what his redemption story is all about to the place to where it's like, listen, it's on the table for them to make a choice. And along with that, is your life fitting what you're saying it's about? Because over the years, as I've had the opportunities to get to know families, there are times where it's like the idea is sit in a chair and let me read to you Leviticus, and then I'm going to act completely opposite from that. Listen, that is setting up a kid to Ephesians 6.1. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That's this idea that where it's like, you can talk all you want, Dad, you can talk all you want, mom, but the way you live and the way you talk, why would I want that? But the cool story here Paul brings, and he obviously heard from Timothy, is he had a grandma and a mom who loved on this little boy, who taught him the scriptures, who lived it out before him, and when he came to understand what the gospel is all about through Paul and Lystra, Timothy is like, I am there, man. Hey, parents, water, plant, and fertilize, but God gives the growth. Be encouraged with that. Be encouraged with that. But do that. That's Timothy. And Timothy, this boy, after a grandma and a mom that pour into him, comes to Christ, is used by Christ, bam, there's a story. How proud mom must be to know that her son is hanging out with Paul in Rome while Paul's in jail. He missed that college track. He missed that career track. But that boy loves Jesus. God at work in Paul. God at work in Timothy. Uh, we'll move quickly here. God at work in Colossae. Story number three. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful believers in Christ Jesus. To the saints and faithful believers in Christ Jesus. Hey, know this. Paul is not saying, hey, you believers in Colossae, man, you got your act so together. You're so much more holy and so much more faithful than like everybody else. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is making a, a theological statement to the saints. I think in the New International Version, I believe it says to the holy and faithful. That word hagios, it means holy. It has this concept of one set apart. We could literally say, hey, hey to the ones set apart. To, 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 to the ones that are set apart in Christ. To the ones who are set apart by faith in Christ. To the ones who are set apart to live faithfully in Christ. That's who Paul is writing to here. And, and by the way, all of that is done in Christ. You know, a lot of times we think, well, I just got to buck it up more. I just got to like do more and do more and do more. Listen, that's a works-oriented idea. No, no, no. They are wholly set apart and faithful in Christ. And what we're going to be doing in this series, because this is what Paul does, he keeps taking everybody to Christ. No, no, no. Just, just fall in love with Jesus Christ. Be enamored by him, blown away by him, and everything else will fall into place. I might even say this to some of you. Stop working so hard. 
and just get to know Jesus. And let him blow your brains apart by his awesomeness. And things will start coming into place. Because we do what we think. Set apart faithful ones. By the way, they're at Colossae. Where is Colossae? Where is Colossae? I know you've been wondering, haven't you? Like, like ask me. I'm glad you asked, because we have a map for that, and it shows from a Revelation series. We did Revelation 1 through 3, and we talked about the seven churches. Uh, Laodicea was the seventh church. I'm bringing Laodicea up here. It's the bottom right there. Uh, it was the last church. Remember Laodicea, if you were here then? It was, the, it was the lukewarm church. It was the church that Jesus said, because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Kind of get the idea Jesus ain't so thrilled with them. Why the lukewarm? Do you remember? Uh, there's, a, there's a triad of three cities there. There was Heropolis, there was Laodicea, and there was Colossae. You see, Laodicea was built up kind of on a, on a hill thing, and it was dry. It had no river going through it, so they had no water for the city in Laodicea. Laodicea was a good-sized city, so what they actually did, it was, it was just total brainiac. They built a, a, a viaduct system coming from Heropolis and from Colossae. Heropolis was known for hot spring water, so the hot spring water would come down this viaduct system over to Laodicea, Colossae was known as the Perrier water kind of place, the cool spring water. They would flush it down. And when we were studying Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus says, I wish you were not lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Why was that? Because by the time the hot water and the good cold water, by the time it got to Laodicea, all they knew was lukewarm water to drink. And Jesus is like, it's totally unsatisfying, isn't it? That's how I feel about you right now, is what Jesus is saying to Laodicea. But I bring all that up because there's this triad of cities, these three cities. There was Colossae was one of them. A Colossae. A Colossae at one time was a really a happening place. It was a happening place because there was a major east-west highway. Highway 70 was going through Colossae, if you will. And in that, so it was a major stop point, so kings would go through. And it was just a really happening place. Over some time, though, it became not quite so much of a happening place. And the reason for that was is they moved the highway. <laughs> they moved the highway down towards Laodicea. And so Colossae got a little bit more small town, but tied to the big city area. Hmm. That sounds familiar. Well, let me add to all of that, because... In all of that, the, the, the main kind of people that worked in Colossae ranged anywhere from farmers to production executives. That sounds familiar. On top of that, it was a, 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 a it knew prosperity. It was in touch with prosperity. On top of that, it was started by a layman. The church in Colossae was started by a layman. I don't know if you know this, but so was this church. And get this. The church in Colossae was five to six years old when Colossians is written. I, I'm, I have a hard time with numbers. How about how old are we? Well, is that not a good quinky dink? Paul has something to say to these farmers, to business executives. 
Paul has something to say to these people who understand what it is to have people from all over kind of come into their territory with different backgrounds and different thoughts and different perspectives. There was a whole range of Gentiles that were in Colossae. There was also a large colony of Jewish uh, tradition there and Jews there. And so all of this is colliding. All these thoughts and ideas are coming around. They were talking about things like, uh, uh, what, what do you do with the heavenly bodies like astrology? They were talking about, what, what, what's, what's the role of angels in life? They were, they were talking about things like, so do other religions, especially for them, Eastern religions, have application, implication for us in our faith? Is it the Bible plus? Is it Jesus plus something? What's going on? I would, I would lay out on the table, these are all the kinds of things that we deal with in our life here in this Small town feeling west side of Indianapolis tied to a cosmopolitan area with a highway not too far away where people are moving in and out and talking and asking the exact same kinds of questions. And people say the Bible is irrelevant. Come on. What we're about to read is totally relevant for you and I in our lives right here on the west side of Indianapolis. God at work in Paul, God at work in Timothy, God at work in Colossae, and last, God at work at God. God at work in God. What's the end of the text say? Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Let me just sum it up this way. All the prior three stories are a God story. All the prior three stories are about God at work. And here in his statement, Paul says even, grace to you in peace. Man, Paul knew grace. Paul knew grace because he wasn't looking for Jesus, and yet Jesus showed up and was gracious to him and said, Paul, I got a job for you. Paul knew peace because he was looking for peace in all the wrong places. And he thought he had it. And the truth of the matter is, is he was totally punked in peace. It was fake peace. And our world offers fake peace. If you would just become popular at school, then you will be satisfied and peaceful. No, you won't. If I could just find the right marriage partner, then I'll be peace. No, you won't. If I could just get the money to be able to get all the debt off my back and have some flex to be able to do some other things, then I'll have peace. Um, uh, Been there and no, you won't. If I could just get the right career and the right job, then I'll have peace. Good luck, my friend, because the peace-seeking never stops until you come to meet Jesus Christ supreme. And I mean that for real. Paul knew fake peace, and he came to know real peace. Grace to you and peace. By the way, grace and peace does not come from Paul. Look at the text. Who does it come from? And by the way, it's not God the Father. It's God our Father. How sweet is that? Hey, let me say it this way. I don't know about your daddy, but let me tell you about my daddy. God the Father 
God, our Father, that's our Daddy. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, friends. It doesn't get much better than that. It doesn't get better than that. God, our Father. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Next week, we get into the book. Lord God, thank you for our time here in just these couple verses. Lord, I, I don't know, maybe today there's just someone who needed to hear some of these stories, who needed to be encouraged by them, who needed hope in them. Lord, I just pray you would be just sweet to them right now. Maybe they've been cynical about you and about this whole God thing. I don't know, maybe they've even been mocking it, thinking it's a big joke, or that's what stupid people do. I, I just would ask that the story of Paul would just love on them. Or maybe there's a parent here in this room that's just tired and worn in their parenting. I would ask that you would just love on them. Maybe a single mom. Maybe a spiritually single parent. They're just tired and they're just worn out and they've been faithful and they've been loving on their child and they've been teaching their child the word of God and they've been living it before them and they're just tired. Oh God, I pray the story of Timothy would encourage them. Lord, maybe there's a grandmother, a grandfather in here who just sees one of their grandchildren, that they're young adults and, and they've not come to that place where they've driven the stake in the ground and chosen Jesus Christ as Savior. But over the years, <clears throat> they've been... They've been putting into the grandchild. I pray the story of Timothy would encourage them to continue on. Lord, I pray the church in Colossae we just grab our hearts in these coming weeks, months. A five to six-year-old church started by a layman and you're at work there, but there's the potential for them to get off track. I pray you would just minister to us as a church. Most of all, Lord, I pray we would be enamored with Jesus Christ. All glory, all honor, 
Christ's supreme name we pray. Amen.